Good morning. Welcome to our assembly. Will you please turn your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and find verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. I made a promise a couple of weeks ago that on this Sunday morning, I would deliver a sermon entitled, What Kind of Bible Do You Have? We don't talk a lot about this, yet isn't it important that some thought be given to what kind of Bible you have? I want to try and help you with this today, beginning in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Apostle Paul wrote this to Timothy. But it was really God through Paul to Timothy. And he wanted Timothy to be certain he understood God had revealed his will. I want you to think of the image that is given in this text of God breathing out of his perfect mind and the result is inspired scripture. I have a copy. You have a copy the Word of God, which the passage here says is necessary to teach us, to correct us, to keep us safe, guide us out of sin to heaven, to nourish our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What a blessing we have in this book. Now, if Scripture is necessary for these high purposes identified in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, certainly it follows I need to have a copy of this book. And you need to have a copy of this book. But let's think about and talk about beyond just ownership of the book. Beyond just ownership or possession, I need to read it I need to believe it. I need to do what it says on a daily basis, and I need to rest on the promises of God. It is not a book just a quote from. It is a book to live by. God's Word. We need a copy of it. I need a Bible. You need a Bible. We need to know what we have, how to use it, who was involved in translating it? Who published it? We're talking about a book with divinely given content. So the greatest kind of care should be applied. So here's the question we must not neglect. Will just any kind of Bible serve me well? Have you been to the bookstore lately? Have you been in the Bible section or the religious section? 
not as easy to find as it was a few years ago? Or have you visited Amazon or other websites on your computer in search of a good Bible? Well, maybe you've noticed there are Catholic Bibles we cannot recommend. There is a specific translation prepared by the Jehovah's Witness religious group we cannot recommend. There is the Book of Mormon which isn't the Bible God gave that we cannot recommend. There are translations of the Bible which are not really true to the original. They're just all kinds of choices thrown at you when you go to the bookstore or visit Amazon. All kinds of different Bibles out in the marketplace. Sometimes it's confusing. And the response to confusion is information. We need to be informed about such a book. So here's our beginning place. Let's talk about translations. Let's talk about translations of the Bible. I want you to do something. I want you to open your Bible up to the front. The very front. Sometimes it's called the front matter of a book. Sometimes it's called the copyright page. Even in most digital Bibles on your phone or tablet, there is front matter. There's publishing information, though it may not be as easy to find in digital format as it is in a printed Bible. In the middle of one of those front pages, the English translation that you have is identified. And that's information that you need to have. You need to at least be aware of what this page says. Now, some of you opened your Bible to that front matter, and it says the King James Version. It may say the authorized version by King James. And the date will probably be 1611. Some of you have the New King James, and so on the front matter, the copyright page, it may say 1982. If you have the New International Version, 1978. If you have the English Standard Version that I use, it's going to say 2001. Now, those are just a few. It is important for you to know which translation you're using. Now, if you have, for example, the English Standard Version or the New King James, and the date on the copyright page is later than the date I gave, here's what that means. That means they published a revision of a previous release. And then if you look at the opening pages, the publishers often describe the changes they made to the previous edition that they published. Now that's all important information. 
I'm not going to dig into all that and interpret all that and comment on all that. I'm just going to say to you, which translation you're using is important information. And if you have a translation that's been recently updated since the first release, you might scan through those opening pages and see what those changes are and maybe mark those later in your Bible. This is information that is useful. If you're going to be a Bible reader and a Bible student, you need to know this. And I'll show you why in just a moment. Someone might ask, well, why do we need a translation anyway? Just give me what Paul wrote directly. Just give me what John wrote directly. And, and forget about all this translation business, okay? Here is a page from the Gospel of John rendered by a scribe working from the original Greek text. How many of you can read that? Now, don't tell me the type is too small. No, even if I gave you a big copy with large type, you're probably going to have some difficulty. Now, I may be wrong. There may be some Greek scholars in the audience. Could be. But for most of us, we can't read this. The Bible was not written in English. <clears throat> English didn't come along until around 1066. The old Anglo-Saxon forms of English several years before that, very crude. And remember, the King James Version was translated in 1611 with the English language as it was used in 1611, whithersoever it was used thou mayest decide. So there was no English when Paul and Peter and John wrote letters. That means today, most of us, except for the scholar that may be out there, most of us are translation-dependent readers. <clears throat> we are translation-dependent readers. Now, I'm going to say to you, it matters which translation you use. At this point, people expect preachers to become dictators. Not me. I cannot dictate which translation you use. Have you ever noticed? I do not stand at the back of the building when people come in and say, now which translation are you using? I give you information so you can decide and be informed on which translation you want to use. I may warn you about some really bad ones. I may recommend some that I think are good in English and readable today. I can give you some guidelines. It matters, I can tell you that, but I'm not going to dictate which translation somebody uses. I'm going to give you an example of how important this is. In Ephesians 5.19, listen to the English Standard Translation. That's the one I use. I don't dictate that you use it, but that's the one I use. In Ephesians 5.19, and this will read similarly in whatever English translation you have. Addressing one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs 
singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now you can pick up off the bookshelf almost any standard English translation and that will all be in harmony. It will all agree. It may be worded differently, but it will come out the same. Unless you pick up the older Amplified Bible translation. The older Amplified Bible Classic Edition translation reads this way at Ephesians 5.19. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, offering praise with voice and instruments and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Are translations important? Of course, in the original text, as harmoniously written in the copies, there is no justification for adding that phrase, instruments or with instruments or and instruments in the text. Now, what I'm illustrating is, what I'm emphasizing is, it matters what translation you use. If you can't read from the copies of the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic, you'll have to have an English translation and you need to be informed about that choice. Here's some more information I can give you that will help inform you of that choice. Observe on the left, I know the type is too small, but I've printed similar charts and I'll have them at the back. I want you to notice, observe on the left, what's called word-for-word translations. Where translators seek first to understand the Greek word used by New Testament writers in the context and find the closest English equivalent. That translation formula is called word for word, or it's called literal translation. There is a book you can get, you'll have to order it, called an interlinear. It is a strict word for word translation. The Greek word, the English word. It is not very readable. Sometimes the order is not there. The punctuation is uh, rigid or it doesn't appear at all in most interlinears. That's formal, word-for-word translation, where they try to find the closest English equivalent and write that word down in their translation from the Greek. We call that word-for-word. In this category, you will find the King James, 1611, the English Standard, you'll find the New American Standard and the New King James. Now, look over at the other end of the chart, the translation continuum. At the other end of the chart, you'll see thought-for-thought translation. Sometimes that's called dynamic equivalent. And here's sort of how that works. The translator looks at the Greek text, and he may read more than just a word, maybe a phrase, a whole verse, maybe a paragraph. And then he says, huh, what do I think that means? And then he'll write that down. Now, that may be an extreme. They may pay some attention to the Greek words and some common English equivalents, 
but it is a looser form of translation theory that's being applied. Dynamic equivalent, thought for thought rather than word for word. And in that category, you'll find the New International Version, the New Living Translation, and the contemporary English Bible. Now, just be aware of this. Be aware of this when you buy a Bible. Read the front matter. Look at the introduction and see what translation method was applied. Don't expect me to dictate what translation you use, but maybe I can help inform your choices. You know, most of you, <clears throat> that I use the English standard, uh, the English standard version, ESV, because of the word-for-word -word standards of the translators and the other factor I build into that is strong modern readability of the translation. Whithersoever I am present in the King James Version, I discover all those words that are not contemporary English. <clears throat> in the English Standard Version, it is readable. If you want more help with selecting a translation, you can always speak to me privately about that. But again, do not expect me to dictate. I will inform and in some cases warn you <coughs> of translation flaws. I put some cards at the back with another chart of Bible translation formulas. It's very similar to this one. And uh, you don't have to be a linguistic scholar. But you do need to be informed about the translation you're using. <coughs> What model did the translators follow? We all want a translation is readable, but we want it to be accurate as well. We must not sacrifice accuracy. Now, when we talk about what Bible you have, people always ask about study Bibles. How about a study Bible? I see some of those around every now and then. Here's what you need to consider. A study Bible not only contains the text of Scripture, but notes and comments and summary statements written by some commentator or scholar or preacher. I am not a big fan of study Bibles because those comments are not part of the inspired text and only show the views of the writer and could distract you or worse, lead you in the wrong direction. Again, I cannot dictate that you not have a study Bible. I've got a few of them. I can urge caution in your use of them. When you look at the page, be careful to separate what the commentator says from what the Holy Spirit has given in the text of Scripture. In fact, the same caution and discernment you apply when listening to me or anyone who is not an original Bible writer. What may be better and what a lot of people like is a journaling, or does this look like your Bible? Note-taking. When reading or listening is a very individual thing. I know people who find taking notes distracting. They want to just 
hone in on what the speaker is saying, listening to a sermon or a reading of Scripture. I know other people who are wired differently and they find taking notes very helpful. It's a part of their learning and thinking process. So there is no right or wrong here, just individual preferences. Learning styles are very specific to individuals. If you are on the note-taking side of this, there are several Bibles specifically printed and published for the note-taker. I am a note-taker. So if you want some help with those kinds of Bibles, you can see me and I'll give you some examples. They're sometimes called journaling Bibles, but on those blank pages or in the margins, you can write whatever notes that you might want to write. One more thing, digital versus print Bibles. Let's talk about that a minute. This is an individual preference. <clears throat> there are many free digital Bibles you can use on your phone, your tablet, your Kindle. And you need to apply what you've learned about translations to your choices about which translation you have on that digital device. Now, note-taking in a digital Bible is not the same. It may be cumbersome. It may not be as easy as putting pen to paper in the margin or on your notepad. And if you use a phone or tablet in the assembly, please be careful to use it so as not to distract others. There's also something called the inductive study Bible. Available in most translations that doesn't have chapter or paragraph headings. The idea is you read the paragraph and you decide what it says and you write that down in the blank place. You read the section and you decide what that section is about and you write that in your Bible based on your conclusions. I really like that idea. So, all right, you have your Bible, you've paid attention to the front matter, you have a translation that you prefer that is word for word but also readable, you have it in either paper or digital format, you have margins for notes or not, now what do you do? Put it on the shelf, coffee table, car, desk. What do you do now? You know exactly what I'm going to say. Now, let this convict you if necessary, if it applies, if the shoe fits. Some Bibles are only open once a week. Some Bibles are only open once a week. So you may go through this process. You may have a good Bible, good translation. You've read the front matter. It's paper or digital. It is what you prefer. But the only time you use it is while you're here in this place. Well, let's do some math. 10,080 minutes in a week 
If you attended every assembly and come to Bible class twice a week, the open Bible time is about 140 minutes. Out of 10,080 minutes. Percentage? A little over 1% of open Bible time in a week. Now, are you going to go through the process of learning the translation model deciding whether you prefer paper or digital, margin or no margin, the font size, and all of that for a book that you're going to open 1% of the time each week. Pretty interesting. Is that sufficient to keep you nourished? Filled with the knowledge of God's will and ready to give an answer? If you've been thinking during this sermon, wow, this is interesting, this is useful. I hope what I presented is useful regarding the purchase of a Bible, the choice of a translation, digital or print, note-taking or not. But if your Bible is only going to be open for 1% of your week, I've given you about 30 minutes of information you're only going to be using a few minutes a week. Once you know what the Bible is, that it came from God, and the importance of having a good Bible, there is something else you need to do to it. You need to read it. Daily Bible reading should be as regular as daily eating and drinking. Daily Bible reading should be as regular as the food and water that you put into your body. But then what? So you have the Bible that you think you need to have. You've informed your choices about all that. You get the big picture of what God has done through Jesus Christ, and you understand what the church is and what worship is and what prayer is about, how to relate to people well and how to be strong spiritually for the storms of life, and you want to go to heaven, then what? Turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This may sound very familiar it may remind you of something you heard within the hour. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror." He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I want you to come back at five, and I'm going to talk more from the book of James. There are two problems I hope each of us will be careful to avoid. One is ignorance of the Bible, and two is knowledge without obedience. What kind of Bible do you have? What kind of person does that Bible make you when you use it? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's be standing as we sing.